listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. What's up, Lakers Nation? Recording this on a Wednesday. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs. Joining me back in the hot seat with me today after a couple of weeks off, Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, what is going on? You know, just uh, hanging in there, watching watching the playoffs, uh, missing the Lakers. Same old, same old. <laughs> same old, same old. So it's been the same story for you for the last 10 years, right, right, Sabrina? So that's okay. Uh, let, yeah. Let's jump into the big news of the day. Uh, David Fisdale, longtime NBA coach. He's been with the Heat, the Grizzlies, the New York Knicks, joining the Lakers as an assistant. Uh, popular coach. A lot of people like him. I love actually the stuff he would do on the jump when he was on as well, periodically on, on ESPN show. Uh, what do you think of the hiring? He's obviously being brought in to, to replace Jason Kidd. Uh, what do you think about this, Sabrina, and how, how much of an impact you think Fizz will have on, on the organization as a whole? You know, there was like this real uh, momentum among Laker fans that once Jason Kidd left, that they would hire an offensive assistant, you know, because obviously that's the end of the court where Frank Vogel is not as proficient and where the Lakers really need to improve. And I think we kind of misunderstand like how coaching staffs work. Like, I don't know what Jason Kidd did. I assume that he and Hollins and uh, Phil Handy had like division of labor and they all focused on different opponents at different times. Like I know uh, they mentioned that Jason Kidd would get the scout for like the bucks because he had coached there previously or Lionel Hollins would get the Grizzlies because he'd been there previously. So like, I, I know that there was like a lot of like, Oh, we need to get like a big offensive guy, like Terry Stotts or something. And I just don't think that's how the Lakers coaching staff works. So to me, it's just, hey, they got David Fisdale, who LeBron likes a lot, which is step one. That's a good thing. Um, he's a California guy, you know, went to school in San Diego, born in L.A. Uh, I'm sure that he's really happy to be back with the Lakers, which is always a good thing. And, you know, this is a very Los Angeles Lakers thing to hire a big name guy because Fisdale has been a head coach before. Right. He's not some guy who's made the assistant rounds. He's been a head coach at two separate stops. He was an assistant on the Heatles, right? Like not just any ordinary Miami team, like the LeBron James led Miami Heat team. So it's it's very in line with the Lakers to make like this kind of splashy hire. Uh, I do think that other teams were trying to get Fisdale. So that's kind of cool that he decided to come to the Lakers as opposed to, you know, potentially a lead assistant role, like with Indiana or something like that. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be the lead assistant that hasn't been specified yet, but to me, it's all just like, hey, LeBron likes the guy. We brought him in. I don't really know what kind of a coach he is, but I have some questions. I'm going to let you talk first, though, because I could go for like another 10 minutes. Jazz, no, no, please, please. No, I mean, no, I, I, you know what? I, I like to hire. I think anytime you could bring in a seasoned veteran and, and a guy who has a rapport with LeBron from the days in, in Miami, I, I think it's a good move for them. And and again, I also look at this as as it being interesting because, and I'm going back now, what, two seasons? And when Frank Vogel was originally hired, the, the presumption was, okay, Jason Kidd's going to be looking over his shoulder the entire time. And so Vogel, you know, things got off to a, to a pretty good start and, and the Lakers were, were dominating, you know, leading up to the, the pandemic shutdown. So I think that that quieted any rumors of that, but I do, I do wanted to get your opinion on this. If you're looking at like Frank Vogel, obviously now he's a championship head coach, right? Mm -hmm. Which means that whenever he's done with the Lakers or if he's let go or he resigns at some point in the future, he's going to get another job right away, but working for a team like the Lakers, how much like 
how much leeway do you think Frank Vogel has because he won that championship? Like, and I'm not saying that they hired Fisdale. I'm not saying he's on the hot seat. I'm not saying anything like that at all. Um, but I'm also looking at, okay, let's just say the Lakers fizzle out next season. Is Vogel bought mm-hmm. back in for, for the, you know, the 2022, 2023 campaign, or is he going to be, is he still going to be on a shorter leash? Because let's be honest, he wasn't a big name hire. He wasn't even their first choice to be hired. But it's like their third or fourth, yeah, and like and like winning a championship, and now again you got a guy like Fisdale on the on the staff who, um, you know, has a bigger personality. I would certainly say than than Frank Vogel. But if you're looking at this, like, does this? What do you think of Vogel's time with the team? Like, like is he going to be somebody who's like when he wants to leave, he can leave because he earned that right? Or again, one bad season next year, and would the Lakers look at moving on hypothetically? You know, I, we've heard that they're in talks with extending Vogel. So I assume that they have some confidence in his ability to lead the Lakers going forward. AD seems to like him. LeBron likes him. So that's obviously a good, good thing to have in your corner. Um, I don't think that he has like, you know, Phil Jackson level of credibility here where when he wants to walk away, he can walk away and they're not going to do anything before that. I, I do believe that he has to prove himself and another season of being the seventh seed in the Western conference probably isn't going to cut it. So uh, I'm not saying that they're bringing in David Fisdale as like putting in pressure on Frank Vogel or anything mm-hmm. like that, but like they they keep adding head coaches, you know, to the Lakers staff, which suggests that they're still in the business of improving what the Lakers currently are. And that's not to say that Frank Vogel is not doing a good job. It's just that this, this organization has very high standards, right? So they want to yeah. hire the very best people. And if that makes Vogel a little uncomfortable because he's got a guy who's clearly angling for a new head coaching job on his staff, then so be it. But like, I, I don't think Vogel is like assured of being the Lakers head coach for as long as he wants to. Like if he, like I said, if, if they go through another season like this where they lose in the first round and he's the seventh seed and their offense is just a, a, a tr- like a tire fire, you know, I don't think that he's going to last that. And just because he won one championship, I, I don't think that gives him like instant credibility, which kind of seems to be the case around the rest of the league right like if you win a championship you're usually not fired like Ty Lue to me is an exception because like Rick Carlisle got to choose when he got to leave you know Um, Eric Spolstra is is never leaving Miami unless he wants to Greg Popovich obviously like carte blanche there Doc Rivers got traded from the Celtics you know he wasn't fired um who else are active championship head coaches but you know like I around the league, I would think that when you win a title, you sort of have carte blanche to just be whatever you want for the rest of your career. And you get to choose when you leave. I don't think the Lakers operate that way. So my gut says that like, you know, they like Frank Vogel. They obviously want to have him around because he's done very good things since he's got to the Lakers, but they're not going to tolerate like seasons of not being competitive, you know? Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Especially and with I those. don't, I don't see Fisdale as the guy to like be the next head coach. I just see it as like, Hey, we had an opening. Let's get the guy who we thought was really good on the market. And for, you know, whatever I know about Fisdale, like he was uh, reportedly one of the guys who helped push pace and space in that Miami roster, you know, when they had Wade and LeBron and Bosch, which obviously was a very big thing in terms of helping that team unlock its best potential. He tried to get the Grizzlies to modernize when he was the head coach there, when he notably was the head coach of one Marcus Gasol and they, did not get along. Um, and he tried to benchmark us all. They got fired the next day. And apparently the two of them have reconciled. And Mark said that like, he's a better player for having gone through that experience of being coached by Fisdale. I'm a little wary about what that suggests going forward, because obviously the Lakers have not exactly made things easy for Mark Gasol in this organization, but 
you know, they're, there's things to like about physio. I tend to just ignore whatever happens to anyone's career when they go to the Knicks, just because it's the Knicks. So if we're just looking at his Memphis and Miami tenures, yeah, this is absolutely a guy that the Lakers should have targeted. And he's obvious, he's arguably more successful than Jason Kidd was as a coach when they hired him as their assistant. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I thought Jason Kidd was a disaster of a head coach. Other than that, when, when he took the nets, I think to the playoffs once and, you know, he stopped in Milwaukee too. He just, he wasn't good, but now he's going to be running the Dallas ship. I'm interested to see how that works out with Luca too. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I think that again, I don't look at Jason Kidd. I look at Jason Kidd as a phenomenal, like an mate, one of the top five, you know, point guards I've ever seen in my, my day, you know what I mean? And I'm an old ass, you know what? So I mean, I've seen a lot of them play and, mm-hmm. and I love what he brings, but I just don't know about him as a, as a head coach. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not often you see former players at that level turn into great head coaches, right? We've seen, uh, you know, you want to go back. Magic Johnson wasn't a very good head coach when he was with the Lakers. And you're looking at some of these guys who get bought up. So that that's one thing I'm interested in seeing. But I, I'm with you on Fizdale. I, I just think that it's going to be a supportive hire. They wanted to bring in someone who's who's a seasoned veteran who's been around the game. And I think they got a good, they got a good one in him. Uh, let's jump into a couple of other things, including the Dennis Schroeder news. Uh, we'll do that after a short break. All right. And we're back. Uh, we discussed the Fizdale hiring before the break. Now let's get into what the latest report is. You can check this article out. Uh, Christian did it on, on silverscreenandroll.com. Uh, Dennis Schroeder reportedly looking for somewhere in the 100 million to 120, 100, 100 to 120 million in free agency, uh, looking at north of $20 million. Of course, you're looking back, uh, you know, just a few months ago, Schroeder had turned down that four-year $84 million extension. What do you make of this? And, and do you think the Lakers are gonna, going to be prepared to give him that amount? You know, Schroeder is obviously a very confident individual. Um, That is one thing that just emanates from his being at all times in terms of the way he plays on the court, in terms of the way he conducts himself off the court. The guy has got a very healthy ego. So for him to put out that he's looking for this kind of money is not surprising whatsoever. Like when you feel like you're a great point guard and you were playing well next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like you obviously want to set your value high and, you know, you don't want to lowball yourself in any circumstances, but there, there are no circumstances where the Lakers are going to pay him this kind of money. And I, I would be shocked. I'd be hundred percent shocked if the Lakers gave him more than the 84 million that they offered him in that extension, because for one, like, where is his market coming from? Like, what team in the NBA needs a point guard has this kind of money to pay Dennis Schroeder I, I just don't see it. And setting that aside, like what did he prove during the playoffs that leads you to believe that this is the guy who you want leading your team to the biggest stages in the NBA? Like he had a decent series for Oklahoma city last year when they played the rockets in the first round of the bubble, he was, he wasn't very good for the Lakers at the end of the season. And, and granted, you know, he was dealing with COVID or not COVID depending on the way you interpret Dennis Schroeder's comments, but he was bad to end the regular season. He was bad in the playoffs. The Lakers needed him to be better and he wasn't. And for him to come off of that performance and demand this kind of money is like hilarious, first of all. And I just, I don't think there's any reason for the Lakers to have to pay him this kind of money because I just don't see where his market is. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, he played himself out of a big contract. I look at the way he was in that, in that series against, in the, against Phoenix, he was, he was brutal. Right. I mean, and, and he, he mm-hmm. wasn't effective for, throughout most of it. And you're looking at this, like, dude, am I going to give this guy $20 million or do I want to look at, you know, look somewhere down the line and say, Hey, I can get a cheaper, you know, cheaper option or, or get two players 
for the price of one that might have a bigger impact on on what we're seeing with that than Schroeder could have. And I, I think for me, you know, and you're looking at some of the teams that might have some cap space coming up this summer, um, you know, that are projected to have enough, you know, space to get them. Some some team might overpay, right? You're you're looking at this and, and saying, okay, you're looking at projected total cap space. Like, do the Knicks want him? Like, that's the only place I could see really ponying up a big contract for Schroeder because otherwise, like, okay, C's not going to pay for him, right? Dallas is going to re-sign Tim Hardaway Jr. or get somebody else bigger. Like, yeah. Miami's got their own free agent plans. They're not going to give him a long-term deal. Like, so does he want to go to, like, Cleveland or Toronto or Charlotte? Like, I, unless the Knicks screw this up, I, I just don't see where his money's coming from. Yeah, and, and that's what that again. I think that's what the Lakers have to put them at this position. If you're saying, "Hey, dude, if you think you're worth a hundred twenty million dollar contract, by all means, go ahead and sign it with Cleveland. Good luck to you. It'll be in basketball purgatory for the next five or six years. Mm-hmm. See you later." And I think that's what that's what they have to approach this with. Is like, look, either you could play with two of the best five players in the NBA, and LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis, and and we're going to give you a little bit of a. Uh, taking a little bit of money away from you and you get to live in Los Angeles. And obviously, you know, you're going to be under the bright lights at the, at the Staples center, or you can go to Cleveland, you can go, you know, sign a deal with the Charlotte Hornets and and good luck to you. And I think that's where the Lakers and Rob Palenka have to be smart about approaching these negotiations. Sure. They wanted to bring him in. And I think they had higher expectations for him, but if you're looking at some of the, you know, these guys might not necessarily be point guards, but if you're looking at what the Lakers will have with the mid-level exception, you can get a guy like PJ Tucker, hopefully, or a guy like Nick Batum. And you know what I mean? And you can bring in these other guys who are going to be cheaper, still effective players, maybe not for more than one year, but that's going to be a better financial option for you looking forward rather than committing so much to, to Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. I mean, I thought the four years, 84 million was an overpay, but it was the kind of thing you have to do just because you know, that the Lakers are capped out and they don't have a lot of avenues to improve their team. And at the time they offered him the extension, that starting lineup with Schroeder was going gangbusters. And he was proving that he was not only good in the starting lineup, but also good in the closing lineup. And I do believe if we look at Schroeder's season before the last trip into the health and safety protocols, there is like, there's a reason why the Lakers would want to pay him $80 million. I still think it's an overpay. Like he's obviously coming off a contract that paid him 470. So he's looking for a raise because he feels like he's in the prime of his career. So that kind of seems like the middle ground where you'd want to meet, but for him to go into like what nine figures with this hundred million deal like that, that's absurd to me. And I just, I understand that you have to set the market high so that when people come in lower, like there's room to negotiate, but you, you can't just be ridiculous like this. And I think that this is a ridiculous number and I don't see like, what his agents saw in the NBA market that suggests to him that he could get that kind of valuation from any team. Do you think that this is, this is just something, I mean, posturing leading up to whenever the season does end and, and, you know, we're getting into the officially getting into the NBA off season. Do you think this is just posturing by his agent and looking at it and saying, Hey, you know, we want 20 million a year, even if it's an un, unrealistic, you know, thing that's not going to happen. And cause I'm looking at this too. And, I wouldn't commit that money to shooter. And again, I, we don't know what the hell is going to happen this off season, but even a guy like Kyle Lowry, you know what I mean? He's 35 mm-hmm. years old. He's made a ton of money in his career. If you look at him and say, Hey dude, you want to win a championship and play with LeBron and you know, let's not get it twisted. I'm sure NBA teams have some hush hush wink, wink deals that they make on the side too. Um, I've heard about that happening in the NHL where yeah, take a hometown discount and the owner will take care of you in another way. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you could see things like that happening, but when you're looking at, at the again, you're looking at the realistic options for him. It's like okay, the Knicks, if they end up re-signing Derrick Rose, they have no need for Derek for Dennis Schroeder. Um, San Antonio Spurs, I don't think they're going to give up that kind of money to 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 bring in Schroeder. So again, you're looking at you're looking at his options being limited. I I think like like you said, give him an offer in the four year 
you know, you said four year 84 was overpaid, give him four years, 80 million or, or four years, you know, 72 million around there and say, Hey dude, you want to take it, take it. If not, you can leave it and see you later and we'll find your replacement. Do you think that's something that they, they will do? And, and I'll ask you this right now on a scale of zero to 100, what do you think the percentage is that uh shooter is likely back with the Lakers? So I don't think the Lakers can go lower than that initial extension offer just because it's, it's bad business. And like, I, I could easily see Schroeder being one of those kind of guys that gets offended by that kind of offer. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as I don't like the 484, like it's, it's just this bird rights trap, right? Like when you have the guy and you don't have a way of replacing him, you have to overpay a little. And again, it's a lot, but there was a version of Schroeder that looked worthy of playing next to our best guys. So I could see them settling on that number. I just don't see them going any higher than that. And because I don't see Dennis Schroeder finding the kind of money that he wants elsewhere, even though his agent, I believe is Alex Saratsis, who also represents Giannis and Bam and has signed some pretty big contracts over the last year. Uh, I, I just don't think that's happening for Schroeder. Um, I, I still think it's like an 80% chance that he comes back to the Lakers because there's just not a good way of finding a replacement. Okay. Okay. So you're confident that, that he'll be back. Mm -hmm. very confident not just confident very confident okay let's jump into this to wrap up the nba playoffs going on big game tonight between it's game six between the clippers and Suns. uh i have actually loved watching this series i, I think the clippers should be up three to two at, at least you're you've obviously been really hands-on because you've um you know you've traveled to, to phoenix to cover the games for for sb nation uh what are you making of this series so far and if the clippers do make the final do you think they'll get an uptick in support locally in Los Angeles or is it still going to be like, yo, dude, we don't want to see this. That's a good question. Um, I, I, I do think that winning a championship would have to help a little bit. Like you can't hurt. you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't felt like the Clippers have gotten necessarily more support during the postseason. It's just their fans who already exist have come out in large numbers because this is, an incredible opportunity where their team has made the conference finals for the first time in history. And like, if you're not going to support now, then when, um, but I, I just don't really ever see a way of the Clippers cutting into the Laker, Lakers market share, like a year after the Lakers won a title, you know, mm -hmm. like their, their chance was when the Lakers were in those lottery years and dealing with Byron Scott and Luke Walton like that, that was the Clippers moment. And for whatever reason, more kids growing up here became fans of the warriors than they did of the Clippers during that time. So I don't, I don't think that like, this is really a, Hey, we're going to make LA our town kind of thing, but it is obviously an incredibly big moment for the franchise itself. I have not enjoyed the series. I think as much as you have, just because I miss Kawhi. Um, I think that the Suns, like who really like stepped on the Lakers throats when Anthony Davis was hurt and stepped on Denver's throats when they had no capable point guards have kind of let the Clippers off the hook and just not taken advantage of the deficiencies in this lineup that they have without Kawhi, without Serge Ibaka, now without Avisa Zubach. So it's frustrating to me to watch a team not perform at their best. And then like the Clippers, I think have been given it their all. Like you said, there's a, there's a universe where they're up three, two, there's a universe where they've already won this series in five, you know, like how close game two and game four were. And so that's impressive to watch. I just miss watching teams at full strength. And I've, I've been having this problem throughout the playoffs where like, the one team that was at full strength, the Bucks, were just like playing with their food and, you know, messing around against the Hawks. And now they've lost Giannis and the Hawks, who like were, were a fine team during the regular season. I guess if you just consider what they looked like from the Nate McMillan era onwards, they're actually much closer to the elite teams that are left in the postseason. Mm -hmm. It's just hard for me to reconcile that like, oh, this team could be the best in the NBA. Like I just look at these final four and think 
this is going to be such a sucky champion. Like whoever wins is not going to be representative of like what the season was. You know, reading these, the, the takes on Twitter too, like you're mentioning, because I have felt it, and I think it was Nate Duncan yesterday put a tweet like, oh, you're blaming the, the schedule makers. Like, yeah, I am blaming the schedule makers because I'm with you. It's, I don't want to cheapen up the title. Just so I don't want to cheapen up what the Lakers did last year. I think this has been, you know, a, a war of attrition for every single team. And, and, you know, you look at the stars that were missing. I mean, Jamal Murray got hurt during the year. Uh, obviously now without Kawhi Leonard, Giannis is, is, is gone now too, likely for the rest of the playoffs. It, it does kind of like to me, it doesn't cheapen the title, but it makes it like, okay, you didn't necessarily beat the best teams. Like if the Lakers are fully healthy and I said this all the way through, if the Lakers were fully healthy, they're in the conference finals, at least they're playing right now. I don't, you know what I mean? Even if they went into mm -hmm. that Phoenix series um, with, let's just say LeBron and AD had about a month before that they, they got to work themselves in the shape and that somehow still ended up being the first round series. I, I think the Lakers would have beat them in six. Um, so it's like, I'm looking at this and I'm with you. I think that, it's kind of a, it kind of, it, it does make the championship a little bit, you know, again, I don't want to say cheapen, but it, it does take away from it. Do you think the schedule makers are to blame? And do you think the NBA maybe should have done a better job of trying to space this out? Cause you look at the Clippers and I remember when I, I had you on last time, you were like, you know, um, they're not, I was surprised to hear you say they're not going to get an extra day between games. They were like, no, they're just playing every two days. Like, do you think the NBA could have handled this better? Or was this like, we just want to try and rush this and get it done so we can kind of get back to normal now that we're hopefully at the end of the pandemic and just get into next season and just move forward again? You know, I think the regular season was really compressed. Like you and I were covering multiple teams at the time and it just felt like the games were never ending, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I do believe that that extra wear and tear has contributed to more injuries throughout the season. Um, I'm actually just seeing on Twitter now that Zach Lowe and Woj are reporting that there is no structural damage to Giannis's left knee. So don't know when he's going to return, but at least that's good news. Um, but yeah, like during the playoffs, <laughs> Clippers fans have been complaining about this ad nauseum and I completely agree. Like I understand when you, when you take a series to seven, you don't get rest before the next series, right? Like it's your fault for taking that long to win a series. The Clippers beat the Jazz in six and their reward was after winning game six on Friday night to play game one on Sunday afternoon when there was another series that was still going on in the East that could have just played that time slot. Mm -hmm. And like that Eastern Conference series then got three days off before their game one instead of, you know, yeah. uh, Right. So like now we have an Eastern series. That's a game behind the Western conference finals. And like, yeah, if the Clippers make the finals, I'll get a big rest, but like they'll have also gone 40 straight days playing every other day, which is insane. Right. Like the, mm -hmm. the way the NBA has made this happen is again, like they're trying to make money. You know, they wanted to put the, the Clippers and the Suns in that primo 1230 PM Sundays time slot, right on father's day. Right. When you get massive influx of viewers and like, it's, I think Fred Van Vliet was the one who said it the best where like the NBA is always this balance of like entertainment and business. And this year it just felt more tilted to business than it has in previous years. And like, I, I don't really know what they were supposed to do other than just like say, screw it to the TV contracts and play 50 games, you know, instead of trying to fit in 72, because it is important that they finish before the Olympics like that, that has to happen. You know um, you, we saw what happened when the NBA tried to compete with like, football and baseball during the bubble last year. And it didn't go very well, right? Their ratings were terrible during the yeah. bubble. And so to try to compete against the Olympics, especially when so many of the players in the league, like it means the world to them to compete for their national teams. You couldn't have done that. Like it just, 
it's physically impossible. Like I know everyone's saying, oh, but they had to finish before the Olympics. Yes, they had to finish before the Olympics. It had to happen. The only problem is that they still tried to finish a full season in that stretch, which that to me was the problem, like that they still tried to get to 72 and like, whatever, like it is what it is. Um, I'm just, I'm just sad for like all the injuries that are probably yet to come because I think about the year in this last decade that had the most ACL tears was not the lockout year. It was the next season. And so I just think that we've yet to see the effects of all of this wear and tear that the players are taking. And I'm, I'm just holding my breath that like, this is the worst of it. Cause it's already pretty bad. Yeah. It's been, it's been brutal. I mean, looking at, and again, for us, it's like we cover the sport. So, you know, we know it's, we just got to keep on going and whatever happens mm-hmm. happens. But I think from a fan level, it is kind of uh, it's been disappointing like that, you know, I, and you know, we, we talked about this a lot throughout the season involving the Lakers that, Dude, these these guys should have been playing that soon after, you know, having to spend that amount of time in the bubble. And, um, you know, basically it's like, oh, you got to like, ten, you know, five weeks, six weeks after you take some time off to get ready to go again. And and it wasn't surprising to, for me to see all the injuries. And, and I'm with you. Hopefully this there is no carryover effect to next year. Um, but again, that remains to be seen. We're not doctors. You know, we're not we don't know the inside out. But I, I do think the NBA should have maybe listened to the PA more. Obviously, the PA agreed to to the schedule, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and just try to look at, okay, what's best to, to keep the, the, the entertainment value of our product. And then, like you mentioned that, uh, you know, Fred Van Vliet saying, Hey, it's, it's a, it's a mix of business and, and the on-court stuff. But honestly, it's like, this is hurting your, your, this is hurting your business. Right. And you're having these guys out who are, the ratings are great, but it, you're not really delivering with the top of the line product. So I, I think they should have handled it a little bit differently. I think even if you shaved off, you know, instead of 72, you went 62, you know, and maybe not a dramatic drop to, to, to 50, but 62, which gives you teams an extra few days. And then looking at the playoffs, it's like, well, so what if I, I know you want to get it done before the Olympics, but again, if you would have handled it better and said, okay, let's take 10 games off, you could have maybe spread the playoffs for an extra, you know, two weeks maybe. And I think that is a big deal if you're giving teams at least one Even or two a week would have just like made yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. And, and, and I think that it wasn't handled right. But again, I, I think that, I think that it's been, I personally have found the basketball not super entertaining at times, but I've enjoyed the, the Clipper series very much. Uh, I've, I've just been into the games. Like when I'm watching them, uh, I will ask you this before we, before we bounce here, who do you like in each series? Now we're two, two in the East three, two for, for, for Phoenix over the Clippers. Uh, what do you think is going to be the NBA finals matchup? I think it's going to be Phoenix bucks. Okay. And you think Giannis will find a way to come back or hoping so? I think he's, that's a good question. I mean, I'm picking the Bucks, assuming that he's going to come back. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I will say this before before we wrap up here is that I think Chris Paul is an awesome basketball player. I just do not want him to win a championship. So, you know, that's uh, whether it's the Clippers, the Bucks, or the Hawks. I just hope the Phoenix Suns end up end up losing at some point in this uh, in this playoffs. Uh, are you gonna? So, if if it does go to seven, you're planning on heading over to Phoenix. Yeah, that's the plan. How has it been in the arena there with all the fans packed in there? You know, the Phoenix Suns Arena is a really, really great environment. It's the loudest I've ever heard a basketball stadium. So okay, good for well, them. I'm glad well, they're enjoying their first trip back to the playoffs in 11 years. Well, like I said, hopefully it ends sooner than later. All right, that, that does it for this episode. Uh, before we wrap up, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Anthony Irwin has a daily show coming out. We also will have a rotating uh, a panel of guests that, that we'll be doing uh New episodes pretty much every day throughout the offseason. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com. Sabrina, Christian, Harrison going to have you covered throughout the entire offseason. That does it for this episode. We'll catch up with you all next week.